this week on Dig Me Out. With your hosts, Jason Zia and Tim Minichi. Jay, we're back again with another episode thanks to our Dig Me Out Union on Patreon. You can help us make the next episode happen by joining us at dmounion.com or digmeoutunion.com. And Jay, the union has brought us another pick by way of a union member. He's been here before. This is his fourth visit. We were just discussing his previous picks. They include Marcy Playground, Powderfinger, and The Odds. There's no rhyme or reason. There's no connection between any of those bands. So perhaps this one ties it all together. Darren Svedson, what is this pick? <laughs> How is it tied all together? Or have you gone off on a, on a whole completely different tangent? No, this actually album has always been on the back burner for me. I, I, I actually have a, a running uh, Apple Notes uh, with albums I, I would like to cover, cover off, or, or things that come to my head. But this was actually an album that I, I felt that it didn't maybe didn't fit the, the mission statement of the, the podcast podcast or the ethos, um, you know, overlooked albums uh, or forgotten albums, uh, because clearly the, you know, the Black Crows is, are not, uh, uh, are not a, a fringe band by any means. Nope. But, uh, you know, I figured after you did uh, Throwing Copper by Live, what was it, in the spring, I was like, oh, all bets are off. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, we put it forward and uh, glad you guys uh, thought it was a good idea. Well, and this and, one was in a poll recently, that- right? It was, and I don't think the Black Crows will be doing a 30th anniversary of Amorica anytime no. soon. So, <laughs> no, it, it probably uh, fits. It fits the bill better than throwing copper. Right. Yeah, if we had done uh, the distance to here for live, maybe that would have made more sense. Yeah, but um, True. but this record, as you mentioned, it's his third record. Came out in what ninety four. This is a release November of 90, fall of 94. And by this point, I, you know, the Black Crows were an oddball, right? Yeah. Yeah, no, interesting timing with this. And I actually specifically, I just reread Steve Gorman's book. And I remembered he, he, he pointed out the fact that it was released actually the same day as Nirvana's MTV Unplugged album. And I recall I bought them both on the same day. And uh, maybe surprisingly, or not surprisingly, since we're covering this album, I think this is the one I actually have listened to more and, and, and kept listening to over the years. I know that'd be her- heresy for, for some, but uh, 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 yeah, you're right. 94 was was an odd time. I think there've always been a bit of a band at a time where mm-hmm. they really broke big in 91, right before Nirvana uh, came on the scene and grunge uh Southern Harmony came out in, I think it was May of 92. So grunge was just in the early stages and that album did quite well. I think it went double platinum. Great album, by the way. But, uh, and this is, came out in November of 94. And uh, I think they did make some concessions to, um, to what was going on in the alternative scene at the time, which we can discuss later. But uh, yeah, it really, it really was an album. I think that, that out of time, you really couldn't place it. But I think also the the fact that it was out of time for me in 2021, it's it's actually I think a timeless album. Uh, the things that may have been seemed a bit out of place or dated, I still love this album. Spoiler alert. <laughs> That's fine, uh, Jane. You were obviously familiar with the band, so was I. This is not new territory for us. Um, yep. Do you own all the records, Jay, or is it more like one album here or there? I own everything through, um, was it stand, stand by, by your, by your side, by your side, by your side. Yeah. That was Um, the, which would have been like late nineties. That was 99, uh, to get into the discography. So everybody knows shake your moneymaker came out in 90. the Southern harmony and musical companion came out in 92. This came out in 94, three snakes and a charm, three snakes and one charm came out in 96 by your side came out in 99. Lions came out in 2001. Oh, I have Lions too. Okay, War Paint came out in 2008 after a hiatus, and then Before the Frost until the Freeze in 2009. 
you know, obviously there was some brotherly um, tensions that caused the band to split up uh, and separate. Chris Robinson did the Chris Robinson brotherhood uh, for a while on his own. And um, a little bit of history for people who don't know. They're from Marietta, Georgia. They formed in 1984 and they were originally called Mr. Crow's Garden. Um, and influenced by, you know, R.E.M.'s from this area. So they're influenced by R.E.M., but a lot of psychedelic pop and Southern rock and then blues rock. Um, they got their first professional demo done in 87 for A&M. Their manager got it to a, a rep in Los Angeles um, that's when Steve Gorman joined the band on drums and they, um, started playing around. Uh, they did like CBGBs in 88 and got the, um, five piece Johnny Colt and Jeff Cease joined the band. Um, and they met George Draculius who got the band signed to deaf American and they went through a number of name changes. So they were called Mr. Crow's Garden. Then they changed their name to the Heartless Crows, then the Stone Mountain Crows, and then finally settled on the Black Crows. Um, Shake Your Moneymaker came out in 90, had two top 30 singles with She Talks to Angels and Hard to Handle, the Otis Redding cover. Um, also, where charting singles were Jealous Again and Twice as Hard. That's pretty good for a debut. Um, and, uh, so infamously they opened for ZZ top. I don't know if you guys remember this, they opened for ZZ top on tour and it was sponsored by Miller beer. And apparently there was like a yeah. big advertisement on stage and Chris Robinson <laughs> like had a, had a tirade on stage and got the band fired from the tour. Um, they also took wow, part. How, how things have changed. Oh, I know. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Is there not a tour now? Not sponsored by. Yeah. Budweiser or Coors or, or, or Jaeger Meister um, or Monster Energy. Drink the Met or? Metallica sales force. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Nothing yeah. says rock and roll like Salesforce. Um, they played, they, they left that tour and then they joined the Monsters of Rock tour in Europe and they opened for Metallica, ACDC, Motley Crue, and Queensryche. Uh, Mark Ford replaced Jeff Cease from the band Burning Tree. And that's when they recorded the Southern Harmony Musical Companion. Debuted at number one on the Billboard 200 with the singles Remedy, Sting Me, Thorn in My Pride, and Hotel Illness all made it onto the Billboard Album Tracks chart. And Remedy and Thorn in My Pride made it to the Hot 100. Um, they hired, at this point, a keyboard player to become a permanent member, um, Eddie Harsh. And, um, on the 94, so this album is sort of infamous because it started as a different record called tall and Chris Robinson wanted to produce the record on his own. And they brought in a bunch of, I, I, they brought in some folks from the jellyfish camp to record that record. And apparently, uh, rich Robinson wasn't happy because Chris didn't really want a lot of heavy guitars on it. He wanted like horns and flutes and he wanted to go the whole jellyfish, jellyfish, psychedelic route and rich was like nah this is my band too and <laughs> like started redoing songs and th it, so some of the songs got re-recorded re some of the songs got put out as b-sides and then there was a re-release i guess not a re-release not a re-release but a a release in the 2000s called what was it called the lost crows came out in 2006 and that includes songs from the Tall Sessions and um, other demos that would end up on other records like Lions and um, kind of gives you, a, I guess, a taste. So you had um, Andy Sturmer from Jellyfish participating in that and um, Jack Joseph Pugue. Is that how you say his name? I have no idea. He's the producer on this record. Also worked with Jellyfish, um, Counting Crows, Green Day, Tonic, Hole, 
no doubt panic at the disco this guy's got a you know he's got a he's got a resume so this record was a while in coming even though it was only the normal amount of time they spent a lot of time recording and and uh hold up in the studio trying to uh trying to put it together for for andy Sturmer's, <laughs> it just says assorted musical gifts it doesn't hmm. say what he actually played on the record so is he did he make it to the final version of the Amorica version or is this from the the original sessions yeah he's on the Amorica credits oh. on wikipedia um, and then after this, as I mentioned, the uh, the band put out Three Snakes and One Charm uh, by your side in uh, 99. And uh, I believe on Three Snakes and One Charm, that's when the band started shedding members. Yeah. I think that's when Johnny Colt left and um, Mark Ford left. And it, for Lions, they they had left um Columbia and moved to and or uh, V2 records which uh was it I don't even remember what V2 was was that was that a virgin offshoot yeah it was it was after Richard Branson sold off virgin he started a a new record label that's right that's right so they have been back together since well they did a couple of they've done a couple of reunions. Um they had the hiatus from 2000 2005. Uh then they had they got back together for the two new albums um War Paint and Before the Frost Until the Freeze. And then um they released a double acoustic album called Crowology and of I think that's is it, I don't think it's all new material. I think there's like some covers and not covers. Uh, there's re-recordings of songs and stuff. Is that right, Darren? Yeah, I think it's almost all all previous album cuts re-recorded. Gotcha. Um, so they broke up in two thousand fifteen uh, again with the the Robinson brothers arguing over stuff, and then they got back together in two thousand eighteen. And then in 2019, they they announced that they had resolved their differences, and they that uh, yeah exactly money, and um, we started you started this history off with them uh, ranting about tour sponsorships and right yeah. well looky here, so they got back together and did a 46 date tour. It was just the brothers who as the original members. None of the other folks in the band were the original uh, members of the band and um, they started to do a tour for 2020, but then they got disrupted because of COVID and they got pushed back to 21. And then I don't know, did they actually go out and do the tour this year or? Uh, yeah, they did. I, I So they've, uh, they've been doing shows. I don't know. They've stopped now. Uh, what I have heard is that the show's, they booked uh, venues that are really too large for uh, what they can draw. So uh, I think they're doing it's an arena tour, but I've heard reports where some shows are really thirty percent, forty percent filled with capacity. That that's crazy. You got you think that they would think about that in terms of? I mean, it's got to cost more to to play this the venue, right? Well. One thing I've learned about this band, and I just reread Steve Gorman's autobiography uh, called Hard to Handle. It came out in 2019. Excellent read, uh, even if you're not a huge I've fan. heard it's very good. I haven't gotten to it yet, but I've heard it's great. Really good. And it's just, a, it's a case study in how to, and uh, <laughs> what not to do as a band uh, from a business perspective. Uh, Steve Gorman, I have a lot of respect for him. He sounds pretty level-headed, pretty normal, no, normal guy in interviews. And just says this is a self-sabotaging band, and uh, so it's not surprising to me that uh, I don't think the Robinson brothers are particularly savvy businessmen. Put it that way. Well, that doesn't surprise me. I remember Chris Robinson's been on Howard Stern, and they have been interesting interviews, to say the least. He's a he's a unique character. Oh yeah. 
So um, I'm not surprised that he has difficulty getting along with his brother and and managing their career because uh, yeah. So um, comments we got over at Patreon. Let's take a look. We'll get to the poll results of whether this was a worthy album, better EP, or decent single at the end of the show. But some comments. Uh, Scott Holgram. They never got as good as their first two albums again, but they were still good here. Peter Hirsch says, agreed. Plus, Andy Sturmer of Jellyfish worked on this album, too. Uh, Richard Waterman says, I I still find it strange that people just dismiss this album. It's in the top 20 best rock albums of the 90s. It's the best sounding Crows album. The production by JJP is awesome. It has a vibe. It rocks hard. It's loose and groovy. It's got some boogie woogie, great drumming, Latin percussion, Eddie Harsh's brilliant keys and organ. But the crowning glory is Mark Ford's guitar playing, especially his solos. And she gave good sunflower. Tasteful, heavy, and mind blowing all at the same time. Also, love the Johnny Colt bass in this song. As Steve Gorman says in his book, they shot themselves in the foot with the artwork. But the Robinson brothers liked to do that. They should have capitalized off the success of Southern Harmony, but the artwork was a crazy decision. Rock music doesn't get much better than this. Worthy all-time album. Um, We should mention that. I think we talked about it in the pre-show, but uh, the album cover got this band from Walmart and Kmart, which I believe in the 90s were the top two sellers of music in America. So they had to replace it it's infamous it's a it's a a woman's um front wearing a <laughs> wearing a an american flag bikini uh it's a little uh it's like sticky say? fingers but a yeah. woman in a bikini yeah. yes with uh, and, some pubic hair showing there you go that's the technical yes. term exactly um, taken from uh 1976 hustler bicentennial issue cover <laughs> Which definitely was going to, to sell well in, in Walmart. Yes. <laughs> uh, and so for those locations, they went with a, they basically blacked out everything but the American flag. Uh, but people knew. Yeah. People knew what was going on. But I believe that's the version I have. Right. Me as well. So, uh, David Gorgos, the Crows were a unique sound in the 90s. This was a bestseller in our record store because not many people carried the original artwork. Interesting. Yeah, I guess if you went to an independent store, you could grab one of these uh, original artworks. Or you could just go on any streaming service now and see the original artwork. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Because now it's like, who freaking cares? Exactly. Well, it's funny that that became an issue. And yet I've looked at like scorpion and scorpions covers oh, yeah. and, oh, and yeah. i'm like <laughs> yeah. are you kidding me yeah yeah uh it's it's a, uh yes it's silly in hindsight they're still idiots <laughs> yes yes well, but they can be both idiots and it's silly <laughs> right it's it can be both things uh chip midnight says we're the album i often say that my generation gen x didn't have the legends like the generations before me did led zeppelin sabbath the who the doors the beatles the stones but revisiting this black crows album makes me think that we really do have those type of bands this was a good one to dig out after having not listened to it in years if the robinson brothers have been best friends rather than enemies who knows what we think about them today they'd probably have been arena headliners for the last two decades true uh john seaman worthy album gorman's book motivated me to really dig into them over the last two years highlights for me are cursed diamond uh part 25 london or p25 london wiser time and the closer that includes a beautiful performance from eddie harsh descending gavin says probably my favorite black crows album doesn't necessarily have my favorite songs for them but the album i play all the way through the most what you doing there, Jay? Moving your camera around. It's very distracting. Just keep talking. Okay. Darren Lehman said, the best album of the Crows discography, hands down. This is the band truly finding their own voice. Yes, the Stones and Faces influence is still there, but less obvious and blatant. The hues of psychedel- psychedelia and folk mixed with straight up rock make this the most eclectic and interesting album of their catalog. Worthy album all the way. Kyle Bittner, personally, I prefer Southern Harmony, but this is a stellar, well-produced rock album. 
Phil Fleming. Black Crows really peaked with their second album. A high school friend of mine described it as best. The Black Crows took enough drugs to get really good at what they do. It was a slow downward slide for the rest of the 90s. Then the jam band vibe took over after 2001. Amorica still has more pluses and minuses, but you can tell the focus was starting to meander. Hmm. Whitney Beeler says, Worthy album, and I see Andy Sturmer's involvement has already been mentioned. You had some comments, Darren, but we'll get to those during the course of the show. Uh, I think we're at the point where I will ask Jay, tell me one thing you liked about Amorica by the Black Crows. They pull off... So this is a a bit of an evolution of their sound for me. Um, the way I see it is, you know, they start off in the first record as being a kind of a Stones-like blues rock band. Then they start to expand on the next record to more of a Southern rock sound. Mm-hmm. And what I like about this record is um, you get more of the Southern rock feel, but now they start to get like a real like funkiness to them in a way that's not, doesn't lose edge. So you've got this really cool juxtaposition of like Latin percussion and really interesting, like syncopated guitar rhythms and excellent drumming. And just the mood overall um, has these really like kind of groovy, mellow vibe verses, but then they bring in the edge either through, you know, the riffs through those verses or, you know, this climax or, you know, building chorus um, that really opens up and is pretty dynamic. So you get all of this stuff from the first two records that you like. I mean, Chris Robinson sounds like Chris Robinson um, singing. Um, I think he's, you know, vocally is as strong as he's as anywhere in their catalog. Um, so, you know, that brings with it a lot of like seventies classic rock feel to it, but now you're starting to get a more expanded like palette, both guitar wise, you know, you're getting not just two electric guitars or an acoustic guitar, you're getting pedal steel, you're getting like, um, a lot of slide work and really creative slide work. Um, you're getting now organ and electric piano and Rhodes and it's not done in a way that's, um, I guess, confusing who they are. You know, it's, they're still like, I think on this record, those elements, these new elements come in and have a moment and then they recede, which I like a lot. Even like little things like there's like a little harpsichord part or some weird, these little odd instruments pop in and they just help break up the songs give you another texture or set up like a big, you know, heavier part um, to just give you some contrast. Um, So I I really like the additions they're making here. I think the percussion stuff in particular can feel at times um, for me on, on other records or with other bands, like unnecessary or in the way noisy cliched, but there's something about, the way that they're bringing in those, those extra percussion elements, even things like marimba that have some melody to them or whatever they are, some sort of xylophone, like they're they're percussive, but they're also melodic and they just do a really good job of fitting that into their sound, um, letting it create like kind of this bed of rhythm that then you've got these two amazing guitar players able to kind of riff around and then a singer who's able to like, elevate above all that, you know, he's a Chris Robinson's like a instrument unto himself in terms mm-hmm. of how he sings, you know, he's like a riff oriented singer. Um, so the lines he sings and the way he sings them are as memorable as the guitar hooks um, and, and kind of play that same dynamic. So you get this really cool on this record. Um, and I think a good example is like wiser time. You get like this really cool, like, pedal steel bed with some percussion in there and it builds and climaxes in the chorus and he's able to kind of float and be melodic with the rest of the instruments but he's also able to cut through that and get you know much more attitude and take you on a journey 14 seconds. 
there's a lot of cool elements added to the band here that I like a lot. I think they hold up really well. Um, it doesn't sound dated in any way. Um, this is something that could have come out this year. It could have come out in the seventies. Could have come out in the nineties. Like there's no real time frame to it. Um, there's a lot of great performances um, from even the, like we mentioned the, or I mentioned the Andy Sturmer or whoever's playing the percussion and the extra instrumentation to Mark Ford, to all the organ work, to the drums, who, you know, Steve Gorman is, you know, an excellent drummer and probably underrated. So just a lot of good performances. I think there's some strong songs here. Maybe um, you, you read a comment where it was, you know, it's a strong album, maybe not their best songs, but like somehow they all work together. Um, and I think that's because they create like this, just this cool vibe that's a little bit mellow at times, a little bit funky at times, but always has an edge. It always has attitude. It never gets like, um, I don't know, it never um, gets too soft or silly or, you know, loses that grit. It's always got that nastiness to it through the mm -hmm. guitar tones or through the vocal delivery, which I think is a really hard thing to pull off. And this record does a, a really great job of it. So that's some of the stuff I liked. Where are you at, Tim? Well, I think Chris Robinson is, is the key because without Chris Robinson, this is a bunch of very talented musicians who would be playing a bar. You know what I mean? Like Chris Robinson's personality and his ability to inject that into the songs is what makes these special. He he has evolved so much from the first record to this that I think people, I, I don't think we appreciated the Black Crows as much as we should have in the 90s because listening to this now, and and even listening to, you know, the, the two records after this, by your um, Three Snakes and a Charm and and By Your Side, that were released in the '90s. I remember those kind of like coming and going. Like people were like, ah, oh, they're they're good records. If you put those up against albums from the '70s, you know, take the first five six albums by most bands in the '70s that are doing blues rock and southern rock. Man, it's hard to top what the Crows did. In, in these five. And I think that Amorica sits perfectly in between that because it sounds really confident. And it sounds like one of those records where you go, you know, uh, a good example would be in, there are like Thin Lizzy albums that I'm like, I know that that's a Thin Lizzy album, but I, I don't know any of the songs on there. And then I go and listen to it. I'm like, oh, wow, there's a bunch of like really cool stuff on here. None of it is, is, is a killer single, but they're just all cool songs. And it's just a band that's like confident and knows how to play together. And yeah, like a conspiracy is a really good song and wiser time. Those are good songs, but this whole album has just got such a great vibe. And you mentioned about it. I think adding the percussion and the, the little bit of, of funk that's going on in, in songs like P25 London, that just adds this playful element. I think the the alternative, I mean, I mean playful, but it, probably the alternative title for this album would have just been drugs because it sounds it sounds like <laughs> a lot of a lot of um stuff was imbibed during this record and and the making of this record. I know Chris Robinson has a has a history with that. Um and I, I don't know about the rest of the guys, but he's been pretty open in his uh his drug use whether it's uh weed or or mushrooms or whatever um but there's just such a great like laid back feeling to a lot of this
And then when the guitars and Chris Robinson and is it um, Mark Colt? Is that the guitar player, other guitar player? Mark Ford. Mark Ford. Mark Ford. I'm getting the Colt and the Ford mixed up. Uh, when those riffs come in, I mean, there's just there's so much history. And I, th- I think the other thing that, you know, it's it's tough to have your first single be a cover like they did with Hard to Handle. Um, but I started thinking about it like the Rolling Stones started out as a cover band doing Chuck Berry songs. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I think there's a there's a a bit of a dismissiveness a with them that is unfair that oh, yeah. we don't we didn't apply and maybe because it was the first time was happening but like you're allowed to emulate and cover your influences all and, the major all the major like huge bands the beatles uh led zeppelin they all started off as cover bands like right. whether they were gigged for a long time doing that or not but like they all formed you know and originally played a ton of covers van halen same thing yep yeah, and put them on their records too. I mean, yep. Arguably, Van Halen covered one of the one of the biggest Kink songs, um, mm. made it their own in their own way, and and I think the the Crows did as well with the Otis Redding song. Um, but this record just, I, I think it's a it's a rediscovery for me because I knew the singles and I definitely listened to it, but I de- didn't put it in the same sort of space as. I had considered Southern Harmony my favorite of the records, and I I liked Three Snakes and By Your Side. They have a lot, there's a lot of good singles on those records, especially By Your Side has a bunch of good singles on that. Um, and I even liked Lions when that came out, um, although it didn't stick with me as much as their '90s stuff. But this definitely made me reassess uh, the band as a whole, not just the record. And um, so it was a really great to hear the album um darren what works best for you on this yeah i agree with virtually everything both of you have said so to not repeat that and uh, look at some new angles for me i think the album overall the 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 sequencing of the songs and the pacing really works nicely for me you have a first two out of the gate are gone and a conspiracy are pretty pretty uh i think the hardest song is really on the album and and then you get high head blues which has the percussion of a bit of a santana influence you get a few slower songs and then uh, and then you get that near the end with the wiser time Battle of Urgency and, and any with Descending. It's I I, I think it, it's a, one of those albums I still can play from start to finish. Um, I think I like I, I just and I'm not a you know a sound engineer or musician, so you guys could probably be more artic- articulate myself. But I just feel the production of this album, the, just the overall feel of it, um, it just it hits a sweet spot for me, and it's the timeless production. And it must be the influence, but call credit to uh, was Jack Joseph Kuig or mm-hmm. how you may pronounce his last name. Because I've listened to, I just this week I listened to the the Tall Sessions. They're on that Lost Crows and also you can listen on YouTube. And I think about six or seven of the songs from that original session make it onto Amorica. But that those were largely self-produced by Chris Robinson. And I just, I can't put my finger on it, but they're just, they're missing something there. It's like 90% there. And then even Steve Gorman, his book, he, he says like, it's just like, it was a band playing that had no soul. So it's actually amazing. They were able to start from scratch, re-record this quickly. And it turned out as well as it did. I wouldn't have thought there was any, you know, any issues uh, that they did have. Yeah. Like they spent a million dollars on the, on the tall sessions. Uh, and then finally, I think it's just to me, it's it's really for myself. I think the band at the peak of their powers. It's 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 like you said, Jason. It's um, I think we we treat them unfairly. I think that the the fact that the first album was so successful, I think it was five or six times platinum. I'm not a huge fan of the album. I, I, I you know it's probably overplayed, but it, it that's an album where they clearly wear their influences on their sleeve of you know, the Rolling Stones, Faces. 
And I think by the time this album is, is, is they've transcended their influences. They've clearly, you can, you can, you see where they've come from, but I think they, they've become their own, own, own sound with this, this album now. And it's, it's a shame. I think even you know, my friends at the time in 94, like, oh, Black Crows, you listen to them, like, ah, yeah, they're just like a wannabe Stones band. Like, guys, you, you got to listen to them. Like, it, it, yeah. So, so that, that's a couple of things that I, that I really liked about this album. I want to pick up on the guitar tone because, like, I don't know how, I mean, this isn't a heavy album, but like, you listen to the guitar tone in Cursed Diamond, that is so heavy. But it's yeah. it's the exact right dialed in tone for that driving, you know, slow tempo. Um, I, I don't know what JJP did <laughs> because, yeah, it it is absolutely the perfect sounds for this record. And what's crazy is like you listen to beginning of a conspiracy. And it just sort of starts. I mean, you're like in the middle of a jam when that song starts. Um, And then it kind of brings it back down to earth. And it has the same vibe of like Remedy at times. There's like a really nice combination of messiness, like with the way that that song starts and you're like, there's a solo happening as the song starts and, um, and then everything just like locking together and you get these really great grooves through it that are, I mean, the, the obvious comparison is Santana, but I mean, there's a lot of like Afro Latin percussion stuff that was happening in the 70s. And even even, you know, Hendrix was touching on that a little bit with his stuff. Um, So it's a great combination of just them going a little wild on some parts and then also finding these really tight uh, grooves that. You know, I could listen. I had blues over and over again. That song's. That song's a good yeah. jam. Yeah, I think the guitar, Mark Ford and Rich Robinson are doing a masterful job of like playing, doing their own thing, but they're thematically close and then they lock up and there's just like back and forth that they do, like a verse will be like they're each playing their own thing. One's a little bit more lead oriented, one's more riff oriented. They're similar, but not the same. So you're getting that cool, like looseness, but then they get to a chorus or a pre-chorus and it's like, they suck together and you know, the riff becomes heavy and in a unison and like you're grooving and then it pulls back apart again. And they just do a really good job of like knowing how to do that and keep, um, keep, keep things moving and interesting um and they both get time you know their moments to shine as well all right jay let's get into some maybe some of the things that didn't work on this record i know we're both you know pretty positive on it but was there anything that bothered you or you didn't work for you there's a couple songs like downtown money waster is um a fun little like room jam spontaneous vibe thing but it doesn't need to be three minutes and 40 um that's like a one minute little album track. Uh, she gave Good Sunflower. I like uh, performance wise, song wise, not amazing. Um, yeah. And nonfiction, same thing. Like vocal performances um, is great, but it's kind of missing a hook. The chorus is not spectacular and 
just not an amazing song. So I, I think it really, uh, you know, for me, really the only things that don't work are some of the, some of the songs are a little weak and, you know, there's one track on here that could be cut um, just in terms of really not going anywhere for me. But other than that, I, I don't have a lot to say um, from a critical standpoint. I agree with you on Downtown Money Waster. That's that's really the only song that bothers me because it just feels like very spontaneous and not in a way that makes like, yeah, make it a minute and a half or something as like a little interlude yeah. between songs. But it just, uh, it just doesn't match the vibe of, of the rest of the record in, in what works for me, but that's really it. I mean, everything sounds really good. Um, I'm, I'm, I really like the, the track list. I like how it's sequenced. I don't have any real complaints about this record other than maybe jump in yeah. one song. So even though it's most of the songs are over four minutes, uh, they stay interesting. I don't mind it. I like the jamming actually on here when they, when they do jam a little bit. Yeah. Oh, uh, they, they rain it in. It doesn't get too ridiculous. No, this is a band that's made for that. And the fact that they keep these songs to like four or five minutes is actually a credit because they could easily have turned these into like seven or nine minute long jams and then you would kind of like go all right this is a little self-indulgent guys so i mean think about it i mean this is a 54 minute album in 1994 they could have easily put another 20 minutes of music on this and just jam the hell out of like some of these songs and the fact that they were you know cognizant of the fact that they didn't want to make a ridiculously long record and actually for the most part like three snakes and one charm is 48 minutes. Um, by your side is 44 minutes. That's, that's pretty good. I think, um, yeah, Southern, Southern harmony is 50 minutes. Uh, shake your money maker is 44. I mean, those are close to vinyl running record, you know, vinyl lengths. So maybe growing up on, those seventies and sixties psychedelic, but vinyl records helped keep the, you know, four songs, five songs per side. And then, you know, you're not, you're not getting overly indulgent. I think maybe lions is the longest one. That's 55 minutes until, you know, war paints 53. And then, uh, well, before the frost is a double. Right, 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 right. And it's 101, so 50 minutes per. So yeah. I, I just, I've never heard that record. I haven't heard that or War Paint. Yeah. Uh, I like Before the Frost. Um, I honestly, I don't think I've ever, other than the single, I don't think I've ever listened to War Paint. There was a, there was a single? Oh. But, uh, Goodbye, Doors of the Resolution. Okay, yeah. I think I have heard that. Yeah. Okay. Um, what is there anything that doesn't work for you, Darren? Yeah, it's kind of like you guys. I mean, obviously, very positive on this album. So probably nitpicking at this at this point, I would say on the album, uh, you know, the music musicality is top notch. Production, the songs, uh, Chris Robinson's voice. I'd say the weakest part at times is are the lyrics. Uh, Chris Robinson, I would say he's, he's, you may think he's a poet, but uh, <laughs> you're not coming to the Black Crows necessarily for the lyrics, but there's a, you know, a few lines that I cringe a little bit at, uh, uh, Curse Diamond, maybe it's a nod to the times in 94, and there's a line, of, I hate myself, doesn't everybody hate themselves, that sounds very, uh, they're, they're, they're <laughs> very grungy, yeah, but I mean, this is again nitpicking it, to me. It's an extremely solid album. Maybe you could, if you wanted to, to uh, to broaden the question. Maybe it's not so much the album; it's the whole uh, the whole marketing behind it. The uh, the album, the album cover, probably not the wisest move, and uh, the video for the conspiracy. I don't know if you guys have watched that recently. It's an odd video. It's like Chris Robinson. It, it, 
he's dressed up. It looks a little bit like Brandon, uh, Brandon Lee from the crow in it. Um, it's, it's, it, it's an odd video to watch now. It just, it, it, it seems, oh, when you listen to just the album, they have a real sense of their sound and who they are. Then you watch the video, like, do they really know what they want to be in 1994? Um, but again, these are our minor complaints at best. Very solid album for me. Yeah. I remember that video being really weird and like off-putting <laughs> for yeah. what the, for what they had put out before. Yeah. It did not seem to match what they were, what we knew of them. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So let's get to our overall ratings on this record. And I'm going to go to the, uh, let's look at the uh, page here. Okay. All the votes are in. So let's give our worthy album better EP or decent single rating. Jay, where do you land? Worthy album. Yep. Um, you know, I'm a fan of the band. So this is, I think the first three records are the the ones to me that hold up the best. And I have a sweet spot for this one. You know, this might be the one that I tend to go back to the most just because it's, I think it offers so much range. Um, and I think it sounds so great. It's like a, the the clarity and separation of a Jellyfish album, both really great gritty guitar tones and just a you know bit of snarl to it. So um, it's a worthy album for me. I'm a big fan. I agree with you. I mean, getting to go back to this record and give it another shot was really a lot of fun and makes me appreciate this band in a way that I probably didn't understand because I, I didn't probably gather all the influences. I just knew that they sounded like the Rolling Stones and the faces and I was like, okay, that's cool. And now you can, he you hear the things, you know, like little feet and other artists that I didn't catch or didn't even know of at the time before this. So kind of had to expand my listening to appreciate them more, but I think they, it stands on its own. It's just a good rock record, uh, in a way that American bands don't really, you know, we never had a Led Zeppelin or a, or Rolling Stones here like that. Yeah. So, I mean, the Allman brothers, I guess would be close, but not really a riff oriented band in the same way. You know, there was never, a, there was never a guy like Keith Richards in, in the, in the Allman brothers. There was some, I mean, it's really, you know, some good guitar solos and licks and stuff like that, but not in the same sort of bluesy rock uh, way. So I guess, I guess that's what the Crows are in some respects. Yeah. I mean, this is the band that went out and uh, was basically the, the touring band for Jimmy Page, right? Yeah. That great Live at the Greek so. release. He could pretty much pick anybody he'd want. This is the band he picked. Right. So, Darren, it's it's anticlimactic, but uh, where do you yeah. land? Yeah, this is uh, not a very controversial podcast. This one, uh, it's a worthy album for me as well. Uh, I would say this, you know, between this and Southern Harmony, I know Southern Harmony, I think from the, the, the real fans, that's viewed as their magnum opus or, or the real uh, the standout album, uh, with this one being a close second. You know, I, I love Southern Harmony, but um, I think the two very different albums. That one's very, it's got a more, more of their XL Main Street recorded, I think it was in nine days, really uh, raw, uh, off the cuff, whereas this feels a little bit more time and a lot of money was put into this one. And uh, yeah, to me, this, I think this is my favorite. They uh, generate a lot of goodwill for me. I, I was really looking forward to them at the time when, then three snakes and one charm came out and I didn't love it. Uh, I, and I still don't, uh, there's a few songs in there that I like, but there was not, it really was, didn't, I was really trying to love it more than I did. And then by the time by your side, where it was a real throwback, some would say a concession to, uh, you know, going back to the sound of the first album that made them big at, uh, 
you know, I, I stuck with them for, you know, three or four albums after, after this, just because of the strength of how much I enjoyed this album at the time. All right. Well, our union has spoken. 92% were the album oh, to, to 8% better EP. I don't know who, who I just got to be a one vote for better EP. That was a last minute one. I just checked two hours before. It's still 100%. So someone had to Uh-oh. come in the last minute and screw the rating up. Someone snuck it in. Write it down at the wire. Well, that's, I mean, that's one of the most uh, lopsided uh, worthy album to better EP polls we've had in a while. So that's, uh, that's nothing to, um, to be upset about. Uh, we won't dock you for, uh, <laughs> for that. And quite honestly, whoever, uh, whoever did that, uh, I, I suggest you listen again. I was just looking, I just noticed, uh, I was looking through the discography on Discogs. This was one of those bands in the early 2000s that did like the instant live shows on CD. So you could like walk out and have a copy of the CD. So their Discogs page is ridiculous with the amount of releases that are listed. Like you try to find the records and they're just buried amongst hundreds of live shows. Not only that, but they apparently, so Westwood one used to do like the concerts and I, yep. they would record them. So like there's a less, there's a black crows living color, double L double album Westwood uh, that you can listen. You can get on vinyl. Uh, there's a, there's a black crows winger uh, triple vinyl, a black crows, okay. Robert Cray. Uh, just uh that's that's such a weird early 90s the oh man there's a there's a cd double cd of the black crows and the cult from 98 doing uh looks well it's from 98 but looks like all the songs are from the early 90s oh recorded at the palladium in 95 uh so even though the crows really only have like seven albums there's like 500 entries, 228 entries Wow, in there for their albums and, and singles and stuff like that. So that's a lot. That's a lot. Uh, great pick, Darren. I, I'm glad we got to this band because they're such a unique part of the 90s and they're pretty singular. Yeah. But they were also a part of there was like a retro nostalgic hippie-ish aspect of the 90s that it didn't have the same sort of cultural uh explosion the way that like swing did for a year where it was like all of a sudden swing was in gap commercials and and uh you know brian setzer's doing christmas songs for swing you know it's it's like the the there were a couple other bands i want to say you know there was the four horsemen we're doing like that 70s rockish kind of thing and and uh i want to say there were a couple other ones too what was was brother kane in this vein jay i don't I'm trying to remember mm, a little bit there was some, I'm trying to think of the name of it there was a band on the radio quite a bit that was oh uh, i'm not gonna be able to think of it. The I'll come back to it there was a band on the radio that was um pretty popular it sounded almost exactly like like foreigner or something like that in the in the 90s i remember that like yes if you could pull i i think it was you know 70s nostalgia was a thing because it wasn't really cool to be nostalgic for the 70s and the 80s but by the mid 90s it was right lenny kravitz is a good example right oh yeah lenny Lenny kravitz Kravitz very like the days to confused movie yeah yeah there was there was and I mean, Aerosmith was was an active band, but they were known for, you know, being a 70s band as much as being a 90s yep. band. So. Uh, so great pick. Glad to have you back on. Thanks, guys. Always, always a pleasure. Always fun to discuss these uh, lost albums from the 90s. Yep. Want to remind folks. That you, like Darren, can help us uh, with these uh, digging out, the whole theme of the show, by joining us over at Patreon. 
Uh, you can join, vote in the polls, become a member at our Discord, where people chat about things. Uh, we're all very excited that Iron Maiden is uh, touring in 2022. They seem to be hitting every city, so they'll be coming to a city near you. Uh, Jay's excited for the Austin show. I'm excited for the Columbus show. That's going to be, uh, that's they're playing Columbus on a Friday night. That's going to be insane. The whole town is just going to go crazy for Iron Maiden. <laughs> oh, done. that would be glorious. You guys haven't done an Iron Maiden in the 90s episode yet. Not oh, yet. That would be a good one. That would be a good one. Hey, maybe we can time it with the release of the, uh, of the shows next year and we can get Bruce Dickinson on to, uh, to talk about, right. uh, talk about it's the band. solo album tattooed millionaire. There you go. That'd be a great pick actually for a future. Ooh, that's a good pick. Yeah. Someone <laughs> get that in the hopper right now. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I actually, uh, I, I said my daughter and my wife were, were sitting on the couch and I said, Hey, Iron Maid's going to be playing Columbus next October. And Katie was like, Okay. And Nina was like, do I have to go? And I'm like, don't you want to see Eddie? Don't you want to, uh, don't you want to, uh, see the, see the, run to the hills, run to the hills and, and, uh, <laughs> the trooper. And, uh, you know, there's lots of good stuff there. And, uh, she was like, no, I'm like, well, you're going, just, you're, you're going, right. you're going to the Iron Maiden concert. This is, this is you look kid, you're going Iron Maiden. Don't talk back. <laughs> How old is she? Nine. Oh, she'll, be, she'll be ten by then. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's perfect age to get an Iron Maiden. I mean, uh, what are you going to say? Uh, folks can go to Patreon. They can also read the box newsletter at Patreon, which you can sign up for at digmeoutpodcast.com. Delivered every week to your email inbox, calendar of new releases, plus reviews of new stuff, uh, books, movies, and music. Related to the 90s and also at digmeoutpodcast.com is where you go to suggest an album for our monthly suggest an album poll. Drop your album suggestion in there. It goes into the poll, nine albums every month. The patron community votes on them and then we review them. And uh, they're always, they always go down to the wire. Last one was a tie. We get, well, we always get two at the end that are battling for supremacy and they're usually the most bizarre combination of, uh, of two albums that we can imagine. So look forward to that. Look forward to, uh, I, I believe it's Coverdale page is our, oh. <laughs> uh, not a, not a worthy album, but it, it'll be an interesting. Listen, no spoilers. I, uh, the, honestly, the only song I've ever heard off that is shake my tree. I've never listened to that record. Oh. I might bust the CD out for that episode. So you can see that I own it. I bought it on the day it came out. Uh, by the way, I just remember the, that band I was trying to think of. Oh, what was they it called? Cry of Love. Oh, yeah. Cry of Love. Oh, I've never had heard them. Uh, like one or two big radio singles in 93, 94. Yeah. And they sound almost exactly like Foreigner. Like 70s Foreigner. Yeah. Oh, interesting. We got to get them on the show. Somebody used to just a Cry of Love album. Cry of Love. That's, that's or maybe right. Bad Company. Right. Maybe they sound more like Bad Company. You guys uh, covered driving and crying at all in, over the years? We've done smoke. Oh, okay. I believe that was a Eric Peterson pick many years ago. But they're they're with, are they in this vein as well? Like they're southern rock, right? Like they kind of moved around. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. They yeah. Uh, they were starting to get big right before you know ninety one with Nevermind. I think. If grunge had happened, they probably would have been bigger. I think. I think right. Pushed aside along with other bands like School of Fish and Four Horsemen. Four Horsemen was actually on my list as well. I, I re-listened to that one. It didn't didn't really hold up for me. But basically, it's just that single "Rockin' Is My Business" and "Business Is Good," which is one of the greatest song titles of all time. <laughs> it's up yeah. there with all the best ACDC song titles. <laughs> Yeah, that that mentioned rock. If if you put yeah. rock in the title of a of a of a song, it's probably going to be good. Uh, lastly, if you like what you heard, please consider a, uh, please consider leaving some positive feedback over at iTunes. Darren, thanks for joining us. Always a pleasure. Thank you, guys. 
And for Jay, I'm Tim. We're out. We'll be back next week with another episode of Dig Me Out.